Hello and welcome to the Outside and Active podcast. My name is Dom and I'll be playing host to conversations tailored for those who love the outdoors. Thank you for joining me on this adventure where I speak to a whole host of interesting guests with inspiring stories. And for our next stop on this adventure, we are joined by Cotswold Outdoor Ambassador Helen Glover, MBE. Helen only took up rowing in 2008 and won a historic gold medal at the Olympic Games in London just four years later. Her outstanding women's pairs partnership with Heather Stanning thrived under the guidance of coach Robin Williams and they became the first British female rowers to successfully defend an Olympic title when they won gold at Rio in 2016. That completed a perfect Olympiad for Glover in the pairs. She won every race she competed in and claimed a hat-trick of world titles, one with Polly Swan and the other two with Stanning. Just to give you an idea of the dominance that Heather has had in the sport, so she's won two gold medals at the Olympic Games, she's won three gold medals at the World Championships and two silvers, a whole host of gold medals at the World Rowing Cup and four golds at the European Championships. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. After stepping away from rowing to get married and have three children, Helen has since returned to the team in 2021 with the goal of becoming the first mother to compete for the GB rowing team. Helen is also working with Cotswold Outdoor to bring awareness towards the effect that we are having on the outdoors and how we each have a part to play in this. In this episode, we talk through the images on the Cotswold website, which you can see at cotswoldoutdoor.com forward slash news.html, which shows us what our favourite outdoor locations will look like if we don't take action against the climate right now. So we reference this in the podcast. So if you're able to go and check it out to have a look at the effect that we can have on the landmarks that we love in the UK if we're not taking proper care of the outdoors. And this brings me on nicely to saying a massive thank you to Cotswold Outdoor, who this episode is brought to you by. They are outdoor experts and they want to encourage everyone to play their part in protecting the planet so we can all enjoy the outdoor spaces we love, which is why they've launched the Save Our Outdoors campaign. From repairing or recycling trusted kit to ensuring you actually buy the right kit the first time round, their in-store experts are on hand to make sure you get the most out of your outdoor experience time and time again whilst doing your bit to protect the places that we love most. And you can find out more by heading to their website at www.cotswoldoutdoor.com forward slash news.html. This is the first part of two episodes that we are doing back-to-back working with Cotswold. So this is the first one with Helen and we're looking forward to having the next guest on, which you can hear next week. And with that, thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoy this episode. Please forward it on to someone if you think they'd enjoy it just as much as you. Let's grow this community and let's listen to this episode with Helen Glover. Helen, welcome to the Outside and Active podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. It's it's great to have you on. We're going to have a chat about some really, really cool things today. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, but before we go into that, uh, we're going to kick off with something that we do on the podcast where I offer you a piece of advice that someone has left for you before and they don't know who they're leaving it to. So this piece of advice actually comes from Ailish McCorgan, who's had a fantastic 2022. And her piece of advice is to concentrate on you and focus on you. Uh, if you've got the right people around you and you're happy and you're healthy, that's really all that you need, which I think is a lovely piece of advice. So I'm passing that's that on from Ailish. So that's, I mean, that's... Thank you. I'm going to take that on board. <laughs> and uh, leading on from that, a question that we ask to all of our guests is, to, what do you love about being outside and active? Uh, I mean, where do I start? I think I think it comes down to the fact that when I'm outside, 
I feel most like me is where I really feel comfortable. Um, and if I'm active at the same time, and that's just a combination of the two things I love, sport and the outdoors, and I'm happy. Absolutely. And I'm really interested to know, looking through um, and reading about you, there's something that's quite striking around how you got into rowing, but then very quickly realised or very quickly started to excel into it. So I'm very interested to know what actually sparked the interest in rowing and how you eventually kind of got into it. Yeah, I never intended on being a rower um my whole life I had I've been like the outdoor adventurous kid and I'd you know I loved swimming kayaking I was a good runner and a good hockey player um but it wasn't until I was leaving uni I was starting a teacher training degree and I was 21 um and I still wasn't yet a rower I'd never sat in a boat and when London got the bid for the Olympic Games, they put on a big drive looking for new talent to go into several different sports. And the only criteria was that you had to be tall. So I applied. They tested my fitness. And I never, like, I didn't know a single thing about rowing. I knew about <laughs> gig rowing from back home in Cornwall, but that's very different to the kind of rowing that I do now. And, um, yeah, I was, I was told I might be good at rowing. Um, And for me, it almost didn't matter if I enjoyed it or not. I was just like, this is my last chance. I could go to, who knows where this is going to take me. I never, never dreamt it would take me as far as it had, but I just thought I want to give it my all. I just want to know I've tried my hardest at something. And that's, that's really how rowing found me. But did you fall in love with it eventually? Did you manage to? Did you get a chance to appreciate what you're doing? It was kind of uh, once you got into it and then it was the road to London, was it kind of right? You're just in that mill and that cycle now. Yeah, it took a while to love it. And I remember the first year thinking, I don't care if I love this or not. I don't even have to like it. It's my vehicle to achieving my dream of trying to go to an Olympic Games. And I... I do actually remember the moment I realized I loved it. And that was when I found the right pairs partner and Heather, the right coach in Robin. And we were out in Italy and we were rowing on this lake and it was this perfect flat blue sky day. And I looked up and there were snow top mountains around me. And I just thought I am the luckiest person alive in this moment. Not only am I training towards something, which I think is the most exciting thing I can imagine right now, but I'm doing it here with these people. And I think that was probably about a year out from London. And that's really when I started to fall fall in love with it. How important is that relationship with Heather? How did you meet? How did you get put together? Is it something that where you complement each other or was it just circumstantial? How did that relationship start to form and then grow? Yeah, ours was very, very different for most people. So normally there's a series of rigorous testing and times and everybody's kind of compared to everybody else. Heather and I were almost thrown together through circumstance. I was teaching. She was in the army. And so most other people were full-time rowing at the time. So we only had weekends so we could meet up and train together the weekends. We clicked and bonded immediately. We weren't the fastest. We like scraped onto the team as the bottom pair. Um, and then really quickly made it through the ranks together. And it's really rare in this sport that you stay together with the same person for such a long time. But we just, yeah, we clicked. And once we started winning, we kept winning and kind of, um, yeah, just kind of kept managing to keep our place together on the team. Yeah, everyone sees the the medals and the awards and the end product. But 
rowing if you if you know about rowing you have friends that do rowing as we have colleagues that do and did at university it's an intense training like it's an intense sport and training is very very tough so how did your going from not rowing at all at 21 to then being thrown into that life how did you take to the training in the intense training sessions so i think like my early childhood in the outdoors actually set me up really really well for becoming a rower I think it teaches you a robustness that you can't get from anywhere else it teaches you the resilience the mental and physical skills and I think so much of it is mental and the the fact that you have to kind of give the same self-talk to yourself when you're out on a rowing lake trying to get through the miles and you're hurting as you know I was doing when I was five six years old and I'm trying to yomp up a hill and with a big backpack <laughs> on full of like you you know your family's picnic and I really think that my childhood set me up yeah in, in many ways to have the, to have the right skills to become a rower so you're building up to 2012 and the two weeks before, because when do you find out that you're going? It's not it's not long before, is it? Is it is it a bit more of a build up? The team announcement is quite close to when you race. So you kind of like, even though you really know which boat, you get a sense from yeah. Easter onwards that you're really likely to be in the boat, you would, but you'd never dare say it. Like you may, maybe a month out, they announce the actual team and then you can kind of say the words. Otherwise, you're just kind of tempting fate. So once it's announced, what, what are the thoughts going through your head? Well, in London, it was a really funny thing because I hadn't been a rower. I'd been a rower for four years at that point. And no one I'd been to university with even knew me as a rower. So, like, when the announcement came out, my phone was just pinging because it's like <laughs> all my friends being like, what? I didn't even know you were a rower. Now you're going to the Olympics. What's happening? Um, and I just remember it being being really aware of how special it was to be at a home games, even though I'd never experienced the games before it. I just got this buzz of wow, I'm so lucky to be in this moment at the right place at the right time in my career to be at a home games. It's something that's just so, so special. John, we were lucky enough to have Johnny Peacock on the podcast and he said the same thing, that the opportunity to have a home games and have that home support almost gives you that extra boost. I mean, you you might not have at all, but like you said, they're only being in the in rowing for such a short amount of time when you're at the olympics do you have any sort of imposter syndrome are you so confident into oh there is (laughs) there is almost the whole thing felt like it was happening to somebody else and i remember i i was so detached from the feeling that this was the olympic games i just couldn't believe it so my coach ended up saying to me look this is another race it's another day it's the same people you race all the time it's not just just race and i raced it and when I crossed the line, I think that's why I found it so hard afterwards to really call myself Olympic champion. It took so long to to really feel like an Olympic champion because I was so convinced that this was just another race. Um, because, yeah, I had massive imposter syndrome. I was like, this happens to other people. <laughs> but with the, your your thoughts, you, you and Heather going in, was it like, yeah, we can we can win this? Are we, we are up with the favourites? Or was it uh, when you crossed that line, was it like just looking left and right and... and- and seeing what's happening yeah we we were definitely favorites but at the we were kind of quiet favorites at the same time I remember in the run-up we didn't do we, we kind of didn't want to do any interviews didn't want to speak to any press because we really enjoyed the feeling of being the unknowns mm. within the world of rowing everyone knew that we were kind of set to win but the wider you know watching British public who didn't know so much about rowing were kind of pretty unaware of us and I think that we wanted that we didn't want the the kind of added pressure 
So then how does that mindset change going from winning in 2012 to then 2016, having to defend a title? It's so different. And you really get this understanding of once you win, you can only be underdogs once. And we'd done that. We'd, n- we'd never be underdogs again in our life. And I really like the safety of, of <laughs> feeling like no one knows who you are. Yeah. I love the feeling. And so suddenly with the targets on our backs, I found that a much harder thing to deal with. But equally, um, again, our coach, he always says the right things. And he just reminded us that actually we've earned that privilege of feeling under pressure. It's something that we had done through winning races. And of course, we won those races. And so it's like a, a privilege we've earned. And you had an incredible span of years, 2012 to 2016, winning eight goals in majors. And, and, and again, there's so much hard work that goes into that. And I'm always interested to know and ask people that have won a number of different medals. Is, that, is there a favourite race? I mean, it might not even be a, a race that, that you won a, a gold at, but is 2012 an amazing thing that resonates with you because it was the first one or actually defending it 2016, but it might have been something in between. There is a race that you go, yeah, that was when I felt mentally and physically the best that I had. I think there's one actually in between. It was in 2015 um, at the World Championships. And almost, I put quite a lot of pressure on on the races that are a year out from the games because it gives you a real sense of what you what's possible in the coming year. And I remember going into the into that world championships and we knew that all the other nations were trying to find a crew to beat us. We'd had this unbeaten run and this was the this was their last chance because everybody disappears through the winter, does their own training programs, does their own thing, emerges in the summer and you don't mm. know what you're going to see. So this is our last chance to put um <clears throat> a marker down for the rest of the world. And we went out in 2015 and raced almost the most perfect race we could put together, even with that pressure. And so, yes, crossing the line for the Olympic Games in London and Rio was amazing because we got this sense of being Olympic champions. But I think there's something even more satisfying in knowing that we had been the best versions of ourselves and the process that we had gone through was almost as good as it could be on that day in 2015. I'm going to ask you a question about food, because for some reason, when you ask, talk to athletes and people are always interested about food and want to hear about, you know, that side of training, because you must be having to eat loads of food to, you know, to support that training. So is there, is, was there something that was like a go-to for you that, yeah, uh, when I'm, when I'm in the, really in the middle of training, this is what really I enjoyed and looked forward to at mealtime. I get this. So my dad, um, is our family business is ice cream and he's an ice cream man. And so I grew up with Gelbert's ice cream from Newlyn. And for some reason, whenever I'm in the middle of like the deepest training camp and I'm in this, like the darkest hole, all I want is ice cream and a pasty. And I can't get it in any of the countries I go to. So whenever I go home and I go to Cornwall, I'm just, yeah, I basically just eat pasties and ice cream. So that would always be my go-to, I think. Oh, that, yeah. That's a good answer. <laughs> that's a good answer you just said there about times when you're difficult you're winning medals but there must be times in between where it's you know it's tough whether it's training or whether it's just having the motivation to get up and go again were there some difficult times in between those in between those massive achievements yeah definitely I think that it's kind of understood that as a rower you train really hard but then I guess the other added thing to the training hard is the fact that you're always competing for your seat you've got a big team of women who are always trying to kind of be a crew together and a team together but equally they want to be the ones that on the start line as well so it's this really fine balance between 
performing constantly and trying to do the best you can all the time, but then pacing yourself to make sure you get through to the, to the summer racing season well. So, yeah, mentally it can be really draining and fatiguing. Um, and I think that's why it's really important to actually just fundamentally enjoy the process as well. And then how does that make it difficult when you then make the decision to prioritise family and start a family and step away from something that's been so intense for so long and you've been so successful at? How was that experience? It was strange because I think after Rio, Heather knew she was going to retire and it just made sense for me to retire too. A lot of the team was leaving, a lot of the team was retiring and I felt totally happy with my career um you know I, I could in my wildest dreams I wouldn't have won one Olympic medal let alone two and so to back up the, the first medal in London with the second in Rio was just I felt so complete and I walked away really happily got married and I knew that I wanted to start a family as well so actually that bit was easy and I think that bit almost I think you get this sense of loss when you leave a sport you get this sense of Mm. loss of purpose loss of drive and so for me starting a family was just this really new exciting journey that I was starting and I I think I never really thought about rowing after that point um the only time I started thinking about it was yeah four years later when we went into lockdown and I'd had Logan and then just had newborn twins and got back on the rowing machine and started to think (laughs) Is this crazy to think I could do another one? I think it probably was quite crazy at the time, but um, yeah, it felt like a good challenge. But it it felt nice to go back. It felt almost like muscle memory, maybe. It did. And I think what surprised me the most was how quickly I returned to my old scores and things, even if I'd had four years out, not even training on the row machine at all. But I was kind of, didn't take me too long to to see the scores. And one thing I really noticed was that as soon as I kind of came back from childbirth enough to get out on the water again not just on the rowing machine I just felt that freedom of that sense of being me and the sense of your mum 24 7 and when you're in the house you're just there with the kids and and then there's just this half hour where once you push off and you're on the river I was just in my head I was the Olympic athlete I always was physically I was very different but in my head I was just like right back to it and I, I and I do think there's that part of me that I that I do like and need to tap into sometimes so you, your your rowing career has been amazing we, we've spoken about that but like you said at the beginning and being active all through your life there's other other elements of being outdoors that you enjoy and have enjoyed did you well I guess in those four years were you able to balance the, the lifestyle and get outdoors and stay or maybe not rowing like you said but staying fit and active and enjoying the outdoors and also whilst you were training did you have an opportunity to try and enjoy the outdoors and stay fit in a way that was maybe more for you rather than just I have to do this to stay fit because it's my job yeah definitely I think actually because I was training so much it forced me to find other ways to use the outdoors whereas before I would have used outdoors for mountain biking or running whereas now in my downtime I would just kind of be like what can I do that's kind of going to offload me mentally physically so I did a lot of paddleboarding um some kayaking that was just like steady and like more like enjoying the scenery rather than trying to go from A to B as fast as I could yeah paddleboarding was something I got really into um as well as some climbing as well so and that all set me up really nicely for some of the challenges and things that I did 
after Rio. Um, so I kind of did a bit of climbing and uh, my husband and I did the DW, Divided to Westminster kayak race together. And that's all just kind of through the odd weekend. I think mm. it set, set me up from just getting, you know, getting to grips with those sort of things. Is there any any of one of those activities that really gripped you, like climbing, kayaking, SUP? Is there anything you went, oh, I'd, I'd like to do it. Oh, that stood out amongst the others. Do you know what? I Honestly, all of it. I think yeah. whenever I'm doing that one thing, I think it's my favourite. And then I'll do the next thing <laughs> yes. the next day. No, this is the, this is the one. <laughs> I think that resonates a lot with people, definitely. <laughs> but that, that transi- transitions quite nicely into the other things you're involved with. So you're working a lot with Cotswold Outdoor and uh, particularly the Save Our Outdoor campaign. So tell us, tell us a little bit about what this is and also why it's so important to you. Yeah, well, one of the reasons I really love working alongside Cotswold Outdoor is the fact that they authentically really care about the outdoors and and what they can do to help preserve it. And so Save the Outdoors campaign is really looking at what the impact will be on our environment if we aren't careful, if we don't follow these simple rules. And it's really aimed at, you know, people who already love the outdoors as well and want to make sure they're being responsible for it. And and it's just kind of reminders, I guess, of of what the potential is. But um, when you see the images that Cotswold Outdoor have created, which is a you know really beautiful landmark scenery that we all know, places like the Lake District, and you see half the picture looking as it does and half of the picture looking as it will if we're not careful, I think one of your kind of instincts is to suddenly feel really sad, worried, upset. But almost what it made me feel was quite empowered because it's like, well, this is good, this is proactive, this is not just reactive and kind of trying to stop a problem, it's let's let's solve it in its tracks now and I find that really empowering. Yeah, I think what's really powerful is that we hear in the world where we are at the moment is, oh, we're affecting the outdoors, what we do, you know, every little thing that's happening and we go, okay, yeah, I, I know it's happening but maybe I'm not seeing it so much so it's out of sight, out of mind. But you touched on it there, the photos, and I would encourage people to go and take a look at these photos because it's cotswoldoutdoor.com forward slash news.html. And when you see these photos and it's things like you said, the Lake District, it's seeing Durdle Door, but the archways falling through. And it's like, actually, this is something quite, quite sad that would happen in, in lifetime that, that it's certainly possible. And it's like, okay, that when you see it like that and the recreations are, are, are amazing in a negative way, um, it really shows, okay, well, there is a change that, that we need to be made. And I guess I'm thinking, how can I how can I be playing a part in that? So I guess, how should we be looking to play a part in protecting the future of the outdoors? I think simple things that we could do, you know, if we stepped outdoors tomorrow to go on an adventure would be things like sticking to the path. Um, and it sounds like things that you tell your five-year-old, but I think actually sometimes when I think about, you know, what I've done last weekend, I think, did I really mm. absolutely see the path? Did I wander off a little bit just to go and look at something? Because every time somebody does that and creates another pathway through, you're just kind of eating into the the kind of area that should be set aside for absolute wilderness. So simple things like that and how you dispose of any camping or cooking equipment that you've used is just really kind of almost reminders of things that we know we should be doing um, as well as taking our litter home with us. But what Cotswold Door also have, if you're preparing and planning, I think um, recycle my gear and repair and care. 
means that you can have your um, equipment, your clothing looked after by Cotswold Outdoor to keep it out of landfills, keep it going longer. So you buy the right stuff to begin with, look after it properly, and then keep it repaired in the right way by the in-store experts. And, you know, it genuinely does keep you know, keep these items out of landfill and keeping you using them for years and years. Because we want to encourage people. I mean, this is what this podcast is all about. It's encouraging people to be outside, be active. So we don't want to stop people from going outdoors, but it's, I guess, then translating the message of how can we go outdoors and do it in the right way. And it's like you said, you know, on your adventures, when you're going kayaking and climbing, you're taking the right precautions to to look after and respect the outdoors in, in the best way. And I guess, like you said, equipment's a big part of that as well. You want to make sure that you're getting the right equipment and the most sustainable equipment. Yeah. And I actually think that sometimes things like this, rather than scaring people off because they don't want to get involved in something like this, it actually empowers people. You need to be informed in order to feel confident enough to take that first step out, whether you're going for a hike or for a kayak or whatever it is, the more information you can have, the better. It's like, if I think about going to the gym, if I have no information, it's terrifying. I'd never yeah. step into a gym. But if, if I go in just that little bit well-informed, it might just be two exercise machines that I know how to use. I feel much more confident. It's the same with the outdoors. The more people just feel they know one or two little things that are just the rules of the outdoors that are good to follow, then they'll feel way happier in that environment. And I think it's really important because the outdoors is for everyone. That, that is just so crucial that every single person should feel it is their place, it is their right, it is their, it is their to use as they want as long as you know these, these rules keep, keep the environment safe for everybody. So if I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, oh, I've not been on an adventure with my partner, friend, colleague, whoever, for, for a while, and I want to take a piece of advice, what from you would you say is the most important thing when you're planning to go on a trip or an adventure? Um, probably pack for all weathers. I think I'm really bad at looking out the window and <laughs> going, oh, the sky's blue. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go out in a t-shirt and then... Halfway when it starts to rain, I'll turn to Steve and he's like, I've packed your coat. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think um, not just uh, taking a snapshot of the moment, but probably, yeah, pack your coat would be my advice. Give us an idea of, of some of the amazing places you've been to. You've said kayaking and, and climbing and SUP, but where are some of the, I guess, in the UK, but have you been outside of the UK as well exploring? Probably the most kind of out there place I've ever been was in Alaska. Um, wow. We did a, a kayak trip where this this boat dropped us off right at the toe of a glacier. And we spent the next, it was just my husband and I, we spent the next four days just totally self-sufficient paddling out to the sea from down this fjord. And it was amazing because we kind of, you realise that within, there's no person within a hundred miles of us just bears and <laughs> is that comforting and, do you know what it was actually quite nice because you could kind of we never got too close like we managed to see them on the banks and see lots of signs of them but there was we didn't hear any kind of footsteps around our campsites or anything Good. um but it, it was an incredible experience just just feeling like you know we we saw these massive chunks carving off the glacier and then a few miles down down the uh, fjord you'd be paddling past these chunks that you've that you've seen floating down so um yeah that would probably be the most kind of the biggest scale thing yeah. but almost the um 
the most memorable and fun ones have been things we've done closer to home. We've got a big group of friends that all like kayaking. We've done a couple of kind of mini expeditions around Cornwall and around Pembrokeshire. And the the wildlife we have in the UK is just mind blowing. And um, so, and on those kayaking trips, we've seen whales, dolphins, all sorts of birds, you know, hundreds of seals. And there's always something to see. It's yeah, really cool. I think a lot of people, we've had this before and other guests have provided this advice saying, okay, if you want to go on an adventure, yes, you can go across the world. And there are people that have walked across Africa. There are people have done all sorts of amazing adventures, but actually some of the adventures can be on your doorstep. That can be walking to the tree at the end of your road the same time every week and just noticing dif- little differences. And, and like you said, there are places around the UK that are so beautiful and the wildlife is there. And, you know, if we're respecting it, there's such an opportunity there. So an adventure can be anything from going to Alaska and being surrounded by bears that may or may not attack you, which sounds amazing, but scary, or it can be doing something on your doorstep as well. Cause when you grow up around in, in Cornwall, it must be lovely that we know it is, but lovely around there as well. Yeah, and the biggest adventure for me as a kid was to go into the sand dunes and just play hide and seek and just run around and play games. And that was the the most adventure a young person can have is just to feel freedom. It's just to feel like you're just in the elements and you come home sandy and salty and just feeling like you've had the, the most fun ever where, wherever you are. And is there an adventure or a place that you'd like to go or you you kind of earmarked to go, oh, I'd like to do that at some point? Um, I'd like to explore more of Scotland. Um, yeah, that's somewhere, I guess, being from so far south, I haven't done much Scottish <laughs> yeah. adventuring. Um, I've done a little bit of climbing there, but I'd like to do something like maybe some mountain biking in Scotland. That, that would be really cool. And then further afield, I've never done much in the jungle. So jungle environment, I think, would be somewhere, you know, if I think big scale, that would be a really cool adventure. Definitely. And of course, success in your field and rowing means that you're a massive following, whether you ask for it or not, but you're a massive following you know, on social media, does that bring with it the responsibility for you to have, be a voice and like we've spoken about of, of being aware of the outdoors and, and protecting it? Does, does that mean that you want to use your platform to make a difference and think about climate change and make other people think about climate change as well? I think so. And I think there's a really fine balance as well, because you never want to look like you're preaching, yeah. but at the yeah. same time, it's something that I really care about. And it's something that I can, you know, I look at my kids and I look at them and I think, right, the three of you, what what am I doing now? What am I doing today in this moment? Not just teaching you and acting myself, but what am I doing? Um, things like things like chatting to you. I just think every time these conversations are had um, is a positive. Mm. Every single time these, these conversations are had, it can only do good and help people feel empowered to go, go out, help people just remind people like what little things we all need to do every day to make sure we're protecting what we have and so yeah I do think there's there's definitely that little bit of responsibility and I'm sure you see messages on social media and when people talk to you as well as our you know it's it's great that you're you're thinking about this and talking about this and you're like you said having conversations such as this one you're exposing more people to the idea of just even if it's just making people think oh okay I'm part of a community that can be making a massive difference okay on on your own um something is staying to the path might seem futile but actually if everyone's doing that you're making a massive difference to the outdoors so i'm sure it's using your platform to be able to spread that message is is 
uh, obviously it sometimes has challenges and I think that's where her Ailish gave her advice because she said you know sometimes it can be difficult being online but actually there's so many positives that come along with it as well yeah definitely I mean it's the same for you guys I think that you know having such a positive platform talking about the environment and the outdoors and it's also like it's it's important I think really not to not to be not to preach because it has to be something that's just quietly put into kind of people's consciousness but then again it's also such a massive thing so I think it's a really fine line to walk with it all definitely so in terms of what's coming next for you obviously throwing yourself back into rowing and then also this massive thing you know working on Saver Outdoors as well what's coming for you in 2023 what's the aim do you know what? I don't know what the plan is for 2023. Um, yeah, I'm still kind of deciding what's what's next, I guess, in the big picture. Um, yeah, for me, I guess being mum and kind of looking after the three kids is the, kind of the most important thing at the moment. But I'm generally trying to keep fit, trying to do some training to keep doors open to help me make a decision yep. of what I'm going to do for the next couple of years. Uh, how old how old are your kids now do they get to know who mum is what mum has achieved or are they still too young for that I mean they're old but they couldn't care less <laughs> <laughs> that's all it always seems to be the way always seems to be the way like oh you're just rowing on water no it's only mum yeah. well Logan's four and the twins are three just just turned three so they get it and they they know that I row but I mean I guess it's quite boring if you just watch somebody rowing or watch someone on a rowing machine it's not the most exciting thing so maybe maybe one day they'll find it exciting but probably not how has adventure changed now that you've become a family in the last we said four years how has that changed it, you know it's really changed in the way that we were just talking about what is an adventure what is the scale of an adventure right now our adventures are splashing in puddles they are they are finding ice and, and smashing ice with a stone, you know, and you could be meters from your house and it's the biggest adventure ever because they've never seen ice, they've never seen snow or, you know, all, all the or lifting up a stone and finding insects underneath it. This is all an adventure. And even though it's an adventure for my kids, it's an adventure for, for me and for my husband too. It's like we're relearning all this stuff and we're re-remembering and realising just that adventure really is what you make it. It's, it's not about these big far, far flung things unless you want it to be, in which case, great. But um, I think, yeah, adventure for us is just those little small wins. I'm glad you said that because like things like smashing ice and jumping in puddles, there was someone that we had on uh, before and I've spoken about this, Jay Worthy, who said, when did we stop climbing trees when did we stop playing around in the mud like at what age did that not become acceptable and that's all a part of and again we've spoken about nature but it's all about embracing nature and and kind of having that inner child in us of just having fun and and having those adventure I found that really interesting so I'm glad you said about that yeah and actually I think one of the best things about having kids is it's like you're totally allowed to do those things again and you know I'll be there in the puddle or in the mud and and playing with them and I'm just thinking actually yeah I don't do this with my mates anymore when's the last time I did this with my mates but it's it's really fun (laughs) and I just I've got one final question before I ask you for your piece of advice uh, for another podcast guest but just circling back to rowing how easy or difficult is it for young people to get into rowing at the moment um I mean rowing is a great thing to get into and I think so many people live near a rowing club and don't realise it. And so my advice to anyone who wants to look into the sport of rowing would be get online onto the British Rowing website. 
and look up your nearest learn to row course. Um, especially this time of year is great. Anything coming through where it's going to get warmer rather than colder is a great time to, um, to start to learn to row. So get on your get online and look for a learn to row course near you. Amazing. Helen, thank you for chatting to us about your career and about rowing and having some laughs and, and obviously importantly chatting to us about the Save Our Outdoors campaign with Cotswold Outdoor. Really, really interesting. And again, really encourage people to go and look at the website that I spoke about earlier. And it will also be in the, um, the podcast notes as well. The final thing from you that I need is a piece of advice and it can be about anything. But uh, Oh no, so much pressure. Yeah, okay, know. my advice is going to be, this is for if you've got kids or if you're babysitting or if you're looking after some kids, if they're getting tired, teasy, don't know what to do with themselves and you're indoors, tell them the first person to find a snail wins a biscuit. <laughs> and I think... It's so hard to get them out, you know, coats, jackets, shoes. But if you say that, they'll all put on their shoes, they'll all run outside and they'll have something to do, something to distract them in the outdoors for at least five minutes until someone finds a snail and then they're and then they're out and they're they're away. You know what? We've had all sorts of pieces of advice, but genuinely I think that will be the one that resonates so much with our audiences <laughs> that have young kids. So that is an amazing point to finish. So Helen, thank you again so much and appreciate it. Well, thank you. And that brings us to the end of this first episode in the two-part series, I guess, with Cotswold, where we're talking about the environment and talking about the Save Our Outdoor campaign. So we've just had Helen and we've got another amazing outdoory guest next week, which we're really, really looking forward to putting out there. And uh, as I mentioned at the beginning and mentioned during the podcast, if you want to find out more about Cotswold Outdoor and these images that we reference, you can do so by heading to cotswoldoutdoor.com forward slash news dot html. Thank you for taking your time to listen to this episode. It's very much appreciated. If you are able to, leave a review and it really means a lot. I'd like to hear what people say about the podcast and it helps us grow, which is the most important thing. It means we can have more guests, bigger topics and keep this going for you guys. It's really fun to record with amazing guests such as Heather and we want to keep doing it. So please pass it on to someone who you think would enjoy it just as much as you. You can also check out our website, outsideandactive.com, where you can also see the full back catalogue of all the incredible guests that we've had on in the past and stay up to date for the ones that we've got coming on in the future. It's the last episode in the series next week and then we'll be moving on to some really awesome guests in season eight. I can't believe we're in season eight. But until that time, enjoy the outdoors and we'll be back very soon.